Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 67. Native American 7, Frozen Planets. Over one-third of our planet is frozen, and yet the icy worlds of the Arctic and Antarctic are as alien to most of us as the surface of another planet. They are places of superlatives, from ice caps that hold nearly 80% of our planet's fresh water, to frozen forests that encircle the entire globe. These are places that feed our imaginations, places that seem to be borrowed from fairy tales. They're dominated and shaped by the ice, both by its coming and by its going. This is our planet's last true wilderness, and one that is changing just as we're beginning to understand it. So begins David Attenborough's Frozen Planet series. I am writing this particular episode on the morning of Tuesday the 26th of November, and I say that because I'm currently engrossed in the ongoing Planet Earth 2 series, and the soundtrack to it is my listening companion for writing this week. As we turn our attention to the Great White North, it seems only fitting that we begin with some David Attenborough, Britain's national treasure. Well, that, and I haven't yet found a way to work my other soundtrack into the narrative. I mean, it would make no sense to open the episode with... Hamilton, the short-tempered protean creator of the Coast Guard, founder of the New York Post, ardently abuse his cabinet post, destroy his reputation. Welcome, folks, to the Adams administration. Because that would just be confusing. Although, at the week of recording, which is the beginning of February 2017, I have just got hold of Hamilton tickets for the West End show. I'm going in June 2018, and I'm so excited, uh, but that's not really relevant, I'm just bragging a little bit. Special shout-out this week to my best friend, Jules, for being the person who agreed to actually go to the show with me. You can find her on Twitter, at Jules Antica. That's J-U-L-E-S-A-N-T-I-Q-A. She's well worth a follow, particularly if you have an interest in either sushi or Flavian literature. But enough talk about soundtracks, on with the episode. Today, we're going to deal with the Far North. Why? 
Alaska. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was that was bad. Um, the Arctic is the name used to describe the most northerly of the Native American cultural zones. It includes the Canadian Arctic, the North Territories of Nunavut, as well as bits of the Northwest Territories in the Yukon, as well as the western coast of Greenland, and most of the Alaskan coast and the Alwesen Islands, which are the island chain going off the tip of Alaska into the Pacific. The only bit of the Alaskan coast not included in the Arctic cultural zone is the Panhandle, which would get grouped into the northwest coast. There are two peoples who live here the Alouettes and the Eskimos. These are a very interesting bunch of tribes, and for a great period of time, they confused scholars. They are physically different to all other Native American tribes, being shorter with flat and broad faces, and they have a unique language. It was thought for a very long time that Eskimos had evolved separately from all other humans, that they had naturally appeared in the Arctic, where they had always lived. Some went as far to suggest that Eskimos might be a different species, but of course, we now know better. The Alouettes and Eskimos were simply parts of a different migration wave to most Native Americans, arriving much, much later from Siberia. Before they arrived in the region, there was a previous Arctic tradition. The British mountain tradition existed from 18,000 years ago up to perhaps as late as 5,000 years ago. There was also the old Cordilleran culture, something more common further south in the Pacific Northwest, but elements of which have been found in Alaska. The Northwest Microblade culture appeared about 8,000 years ago, and is known for, as you might well be able to guess, its use of microblades. It was probably a hunting culture which lived in the forests of the interior in Alaska and Canada. It faded about 5,000 years ago to be replaced by Arctic small tool tradition, which soon came to dominate the far north from Alaska to Greenland, and features of which would make up later Eskimo life. Following this, between 5,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago, a series of peoples moved from Siberia into Alaska, and from there throughout the north. This started with the Debin Flint culture, and eventually the Northern Maritime culture. This last one in particular would be hugely influential with its methods of hunting sea mammals. We are not sure of the exact link between all these different cultures and how they interacted in the area between Alaska and Greenland. By about the year 1000, what we can think of as Eskimos had emerged, even if they might not quite be the modern version of them. Well, the Alouettes seem to be related to them, although we are very confused as to how. 
Some suspect that the Alouettes may have been the original inhabitants of the Beringia land bridge, and when that area submerged, they were left on the only areas still above water. The Alouettean Islands. So, that is roughly how these peoples emerged, but who were they? What does Eskimo culture look like? If you were going to describe the Eskimos with the word, it would have to be adaption. The Eskimos are extremely well adapted to making a life out in a region which may seem to many to be uninhabitable. But Eskimos, we get the job done. They were able to get around using the water. The Eskimos created the kayak, a one-man canoe made using a driftwood frame which was covered with skins. This was in addition to a larger vessel, the umiak, which was used to carry goods. Both of these have existed for the last two and a half thousand years. They wore clothes made from fur, which was loose-fitting, but which was tight at the neck and the extremities, as best to conserve body heat. They also developed harpoons and other fishing gear, ice picks, sleds pulled by dogs, bows and arrows. They made a type of goggle to help them see when it was snowing, and they even created lamps using moss wicks in a stone tray with plubber. It was the only lamp to exist in the New World before the arrival of the Europeans. They had artwork and produced carved ivory. The Eskimos were hunters. This sometimes gets broken down into two groups, those who lived in the interior and hunted game such as caribou, and those who lived by the sea and hunted aquatic mammals such as whales, walrus, and seals. This is, however, an inaccurate way of viewing things. Many Eskimos moved around and did both at different times of the year, and had different hunting techniques. Fishing from the open water in the summer, and then through breathing holes in the winter, while the spring was a good time for catching seals as they lay on the shore. Settlement patterns were commonly small, living as families and family groups. They used whatever material was around. During the summer, all Eskimos lived in tents made from poles and skins, while they used different techniques during the winter. Houses made from driftwood and sod were common in Alaska and the West, while in the East Arctic, stone was used. It was only in Canada that the famous igloo existed. The word igloo means house, but it is used to refer to a type of domed house made using snow blocks and insulated with fur. Heat rises, so by placing the entrances below ground level, igloos were designed so that heat could not escape through the door. In pop culture, igloos are seen as quite small, but they could go quite large. They could have vaulted rooms and have numerous rooms connected by passageways. There were even windows of sorts made using translucent gut. 
igloos could hold up to 60 people. Social organisation was, for the most part, very simple. People lived in their family groups, and life centred upon securing food. There was little reason for things to develop beyond this. There was a rich amount of Eskimo folklore broken into myths, legends and folktales, as we discussed back in episode 62. There were shamans in whom the people placed great trust. There was no gender restriction on who could be a shaman. The Alouettes were broadly similar and made use of features such as kayaks and hunting sea mammals, although they had a number of distinctions, which made them a lot more like the tribes of the Pacific Northwest, such as a greater degree of social divisions. Their main source of food was salmon and birds. While we haven't mentioned the Eskimos before today, they were the first Americans to have contact with the Europeans, meeting Norse seafarers in Greenland around the year 850. This led to the development of a unique Inuksut culture, which blended Eskimo elements of the Thule culture with European elements of the Norse. It thrived, surviving until the 14th century when the settlement was abandoned. Europe promptly forgot about its contact with the Eskimos, and when they rediscovered them in the 16th century, there was very little evidence that there had ever previously been much contact. Aside from explorers, there was very little contact between Europeans and Eskimos until into the 18th century, although it did not come from the English colonies we've been setting up along the Atlantic seaboard, but instead from across the Pacific. Russia began to get involved in Alaska in the 1700s, and pressed them into its fur trade. The Alouettes were pressed harder, and they converted to Russian orthodoxy. That is where we shall leave the Eskimos and the Alouettes, until way into the future. They will come back when we finally have cause to look at the Russian settlement of Alaska in some detail, and they will continue to play a major role in the history of the region as it became part of the United States. Once Alaska became a state, William E. Belt, an Eskimo, was the first person elected to be president of the state senate. Eskimo culture has continued to adapt to the modern world, and it has faced many incredible challenges to that adaption on the way. But, like I say, all of that is for well in the future. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you want to support the show, then you could leave a positive iTunes review, which costs nothing, and only takes a few moments. If you would like to support it financially, then the best way of doing that is to sign up for our membership program. You can go to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and click on the PayPal subscription button. This will give you access to a new, exclusive premium episode every second Monday. It only costs $4.99 per month. If you want to continue the conversation, you can do that on social media. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast, and Twitter at History Jamie. You can also send me an email, 
The address is thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. I will see you next time when we move away from the Arctic coast to the interior of Alaska and Canada, when we shall cover the Native Americans of the sub-Arctic. Thanks for listening.